Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Well, hello there. It's been a glorious weekend at Twickenham. The sun was shining as Saracens took their sixth Premiership title on Saturday and then Sunday saw the legendary Barbarians in action against a World 15. We'll be chatting about that with our special guest in a moment's time. But for the last time this season, we welcome from the exotic Cote d'Azur and introduce the wonderful <laughs> Sarah Elgin. Sarah, how are you? Oh, I like that. Exotic and wonderful in the same sentence when you're talking about me, Lawrence. Hi, how are you? You okay? It was a good weekend, wasn't it? Very good indeed. Yeah, and also with us from Evening Standards is rugby correspondent Nick Powell. Hi, Nick. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lawrence. Right, and gents, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Nick, I hear you had a day out on Thursday. Not at a rugby venue, though, but at the Oval. Yeah, I wasn't uh, turning my arm over, but it was the Rugby Writers Club annual lunch, so I was there for that, and... uh, Lawrence was in attendance as well, speaking with uh, Jason Leonard, looking back on 2003. And uh, yeah, it was a great event and a great day, great venue. And yeah, it's really nice to have an opportunity for everyone to sort of catch up because you know how busy the season is and there aren't that many opportunities either. So a few drinks were had and some awards were given out. And yeah, it was a great day. Yeah, I know. I can't believe the season is over, lol. Can you? I know. it's It's been very quick, obviously, because of the World Cup happening. Uh, and obviously, it's the finals week. We had the European final last weekend and the Premiership final uh, on this weekend. So yeah, really enjoyable. And uh, you're on your holidays I can see that because you know why because you've got a big smile on your face already <laughs> well there's a, there's a couple of nights yeah a couple of nights in Cannes um, it sounds very glamorous that doesn't it? it sounds like I do it all the time I don't do it all the time uh, but it's literally like a flying visit a couple of nights and, and then home yeah it's kind of nice to celebrate the end of the season with a few nights away so um no, it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be really good. Okay, so time to introduce our special guest. Up until December last year, he was the longest-serving England head coach, taking the team to a record-breaking 18-win streak, clocking up three Six Nations titles, one Grand Slam, and a World Cup final. But with just five wins from 12 tests in 2022 and growing criticism in the media, the RFU dismissed him from his role. And just a few weeks later, he announced his return to Australia, where he's now head coach for the second time in his career. Um, we're delighted to have him with us it is of course eddie jones eddie welcome back to england thanks lawrence good to be back mate yeah really good to have you back here you've been in england coaching the barbarians in the killick cup against the world 15 took place at twickenham yesterday congratulations on the win it's good to get a win at twickenham again on your return i know how the barbarians sort of prepare and train it's not quite the same as a usual test week but it's great to be working amongst those players and did you just leave them to their own devices uh yeah no we had a pretty relaxed week mate a couple of short training runs sort of return to what rugby was about you know if you started rugby before it was professional yeah you played because you loved the game you played it because you wanted to have time 
on with your baits. And you used to talk about rugby during a beer break. And uh, the Barbarians uh, allows the players to do that. And we had guys, you know, 150 cap players, Alan Jones with zero cap players like Kai Yamamoto from Japan. So it was a, a unique experience. Yeah, I thought it was a superb spectacle. Sometimes those matches can be a bit one-sided or there could be a little bit too much emphasis on throwing the ball around. You don't necessarily get the quality of test match, but I thought it was a really good balance. Um, so, Eddie, it's your first trip back here since you part of company with the RFU. Did you have any mixed feelings about coming back here or did you just think, you know what, I've moved on since then. I'm just happy to be back at Twickenham coaching a rugby team. No, it was very much like that, mate. I think... Yeah, the older you get, the more you're able to move on quickly. I remember I got sacked from Australia. It probably took me two years to recover, but England job, I had a good time, enjoyed the time I was here. And then they decide you're not the person to coach, which is fair enough. You know, that's their decision. So you move on. So I came back. I wanted to enjoy the week and the sun was shining. Uh, You know, you're coaching the barbarians at Twickenham, so there's no reason to feel sorry for yourself. I remember very vividly, I interviewed you down at Pennyhill Park. I think it was two years into the England job. You'd won every test match. I don't think you'd been beaten at all. And I said to you, you know, things are going pretty well, which they were. And then we reflected back on your time with Australia first time around, where you'd beat New Zealand on a regular basis. You took Australia to a World Cup final. And then you had another couple of years. And I said to you, uh, what happened? Because it started off so well, then it didn't quite. And you said to me, well, I stayed too long. He said, I won't make that mistake again. And obviously with England, you got to a World Cup final and you kind of almost like did the same again. Do you think that if you had your time again, you might have, were you, were you just enjoying the role so much or did you think there was unfinished business? I mean, what, what was it for you that, that made you carry on after Japan and want to take that squad again to another World Cup? I think as you know, Lawrence, you know, one of the most enjoyable parts of rugby is building a team. And so we got the team from the 2015 World Cup. We had to rebuild it quickly, did that. That team probably had two good years together. And then we had to do a quick rebuild in 2018 to build it for the World Cup. And to rebuild it a third time at international level, I thought would be an achievement. I knew it was going to be hard, you know, and I was probably thinking at the end of the day, this is going to be bloody difficult. Because, you know, one of the things you don't control at international level is the flow of talent coming through. And at, at certain times, the flow... It's not like a, a river flowing through every day, you know, consistent. It, it, it comes and goes and you want to catch it at the right time. And I'm not using that as an excuse at all, but I, I'm just saying I wasn't good enough to rebuild them a third time, mate. That was at the end of the day. To me, it looks from the outside, and I, I listen, I've been on the inside, but not working with you. I've been on the inside a long time ago. It looks like quite a lonely place sometimes. For me, it felt like you looked like you were on your own a bit. I'm sure that you wouldn't say that, but I mean, you know, the best teams that you've played with and built and I've been lucky enough to play with, they're coach-led, but they're player-driven. Did you find an environment here in this country where the players challenged you enough? Because I know that they used to talk about how you challenged them, but would they be knocking on your door and challenging you a little bit too? Rugby players have changed a lot, mate. And, you know, when when I first started coaching, we had players who had a life outside of rugby and then they played rugby, so they were experienced people who could make decisions about situations you know they could come into a room assess it and say no this is not quite right you know we need to change things here yeah you know, guys like Greg and Eels um, but it's changed a lot because now everyone you know has a quite a nice life they go to a, a big public school go to academy and they're told what to do all the time mate so those sort of characters are less and less around the world and you're lucky if you get guys like that like having experience of barbarians Alan Wynne Jones yeah as much as I disliked him as the Welsh captain you could see how good a captain he was because he could just look at the guys and give them a nod and say right let's go yeah, we're on now. 
And I think we're losing that in rugby, mate. And you've got to work really hard to build those sort of characters up. And maybe with England, we didn't have enough of those in the end. Just talking about Alwyn Jones, Wales are in the same World Cup group as Australian force. Secretly, are you quite kind of pleased that he's not going to be playing for Wales anymore? And just a tip break, I guess. Yeah, well, they're, you know, they're big competitors. You know, playing rugby is about having a tipping point of more competitors, more people who want to do it by themselves than people who need to follow. And he's certainly a bloke that that led from the front. Sure, his body's not as good as it was, but he's one of those people, he gets going forward, people chase him in. You've ended up coaching Australia, which you know is a phenomenal job. And like you said, timing is everything. Razzy Erasmus managed to come into a Springbok squad two years out from a World Cup and turn things around pretty quickly, actually. You know, you've made some significant changes to your coaching setup. Guys like Neil Hatley, Brad Davis coming over from the Premiership. I mean, you've got to act pretty quickly. How have you settled into the job? Not that you've had much time to settle in. And you're now building towards the World Cup camp. Yeah, just concentrated on three things, mate. Uh, firstly, we've had weekly meetings with the leadership group. Um, and that's one of the advantages of being in Australia, where you've got more of a franchise situation. Uh, you know, to do that in England with the clubs, it'd be almost impossible in today's environment, you know, because you're not going to get that exposure to them. So we've been doing that. So we're, we're trying to build that leadership group up to exactly how you were talking about, you know, a team that's led by the team, not a team that's led by the coach. And then secondly, we've, we're working hard on developing an Australian style of play. We've lost that a little bit. Yeah, you know, become too much like the Kiwis and tried to play their way, which is the way most teams in the world try to look at the game. So we're trying to go back to a more abrasive, aggressive style in your face Australian game. And the third thing is just to get that balance right between hard work and enjoyment, um, because the the World Cup's going to be quite challenging in France. You know, we're in a little place called Saint Etienne. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you probably haven't, mate, because it wouldn't be on your travels. It's not the not the most exciting place in the world. So we're going to have to create a good environment for the players to not only enjoy but work really hard. And and speaking of players, are you able to? I can't remember because the the laws and the rules change about eligibility. But are you able to scour the whole world for your squad, or are you you pretty much know the hardcore will come from Australia, and then the likes of say Will Skelton and one or two others will come from Europe? Yeah, well, they had a law called the Giddo Law, which was you could only get three players outside of Australia with thirty caps. But we haven't <laughs> tabled that with the board yet. But uh, I'm sure we're going to get a positive response about having more players because you know we've got Skelton, who's probably the best right hand side lock in the world. Uh, Richie Arnold at Toulouse is a fantastic player in the top 14. Quade, Cooper, Karevi, Corabetti, you know, we can't snub that sort of talent. Just on that, there are obviously different styles of play. You know, I look at two of the best sides in the world, France and South Africa. They've got some huge men. They've just got some huge, huge men, particularly in their forward pack. I don't know where they get them from, but with the laws being the way they are, you've got to be so precise at the breakdown. It's very hard to remove big men like that, really. So, I mean, you've got guys like Skelton yourself. Do you think there's a bit of a shift in the game at the moment? Because I look at England, I look at maybe Australia's a bit different, but even the Kiwis, they're struggling to put out big men on the field in the same way as France and South Africa. You look at the game, statistically, 70% of the game's played within one pass. So they're big man carries. Yeah, and I, just yesterday with the Barbarians, we had a tight head prop from the Sharks. Sadie comes on the second half. Yeah, he's got no leg speed, but when he carries, he takes men with him. So he gives you a good base to work off. So it's important, right-hand side lock, big number eight, big number three, mate. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, isn't it? A few years ago, if those guys touched the ball, something had gone wrong, you know? They were guys who were just there to clear out. So it is fascinating. I mean, you, you see a shift in style with the, like a few years ago in the World Cup, we saw a lot of kicking. 
a lot of, you know, maybe one pass rugby, but uh, I think things seem to have moved on ever so slightly in that cycle. Would you not say? Yeah, I reckon there'll be there'll be two different games, mate. Semi-finals and finals, and the final at Stade de France, heavy pitch, heavy atmosphere, late kickoff. Yeah, it'll be a set piece game. But then quarterfinals to the pool games, sunny, hard pitches, mate. It the ball's going to be ripping around. Nadi, you, you were talking about that the other day, weren't you, in terms of maybe if you get in behind, you've got to stay in behind. I mean, that would seem to suit the style you're talking about you want to play with with Australia, potentially. Yeah, well, that's the plan, mate. You know, once you get them on the back foot, you want to keep on the back foot. You don't want to let them off. So you've got to be able to play through the line. You've got to be able to play on the gain line. You need a nine that can run and a 10 that can play flat and eat into the line a little bit. You're talking about in terms of leaders and players leading the team as much as the coaches. How important would somebody like Quaid be for that? Not necessarily in terms of even if he's in the starting lineup potentially, but just um, how much he sort of, you know, matured as a person because obviously we saw him in the week and he's very different now from when he first came through, isn't he? Yeah, no, no, very different, mate. I had him first year out of school. Yeah, and I was spending most of my time trying to work out where he was. <laughs> and now, you know, he's matured into a, a, a really professional you just look at him, the way he looks after his body now, he trains hard. Like, you know, talking about the Barbarians, he's been in the gym every morning training and he'll be a significant player for us. You haven't got long. You've got four test matches maybe between now and the World Cup. We've got five test matches, which is plenty. You know, Bob Dwight used to say, if you can't change the team of the week, you can't catch. So um, we'll give it a go. <laughs> And you've got to camp, uh, obviously, for, for quite a period of time. I mean, you've got to recognise that players need a bit of a rest now. And then it's full steam ahead. I mean, it's interesting with the timing of the World Cup for the European players, you know, starting the season with a World Cup is a challenge in itself. I think for your group in the Southern Hemisphere, it's slightly different. Do you see that as an advantage, disadvantage? or? Uh, look, you know, the Northern Hemisphere countries get to have a good training break, whereas we're straight in the games. I think it's a, you know, half of one, half a dozen of the other. It doesn't really matter, mate. And I guess you've got your mind focused on Australia, so that keeps you up at night. But Ireland, obviously, uh, South Africa, uh, New Zealand, uh, France. I mean, there's some top quality sides there. You'll keep Australia out, out of that conversation because they probably uh, don't deserve to be in there yet. But uh, in many ways, that makes you a very dangerous opponent coming into this tournament, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think Australians are always better when they're underdogs, mate. Yeah, when everyone thinks they can't, they haven't got a sniff of it, they can come in under the radar. And you look at it, mate, there's seven teams right at the top of world rugby. It's never been this close. Yeah, whilst Ireland and France have been dominant, I don't think there's any team that doesn't think they can beat those two. Whereas we've had probably the previous World Cup, New Zealand have been miles ahead of everyone else. Yeah, clear favourites, but this World Cup's going to be different. And have you got in your squad that you in your head, I don't know if you announced it yet, but when you do announce it, do you have to have a, a bit of recognition that the World Cup is in France? It's not in Australia or a Southern Hemisphere country. So they're going to be away for a long period of time and you need to think about that squad and, and how they're able to adapt over in uh, in France? Yeah, well, one of the things like having been the few World Cups we try to do is pick the top 15. Yeah, in any country, they're pretty easy to pick. And then we'll pick the bottom five. And the bottom five will be more about character, guys who want to train hard, are good around the team, you know, got a bit of life about them, positive characters. You know, you can't have your third hook or your third halfback kicking stones, mate. Yeah. You know, they're the blokes that cause problems, so you need them to be good characters. And you know it's written in the stars, didn't you, that, that England are going to play Australia in the quarterfinals. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it, I mean, it is, isn't it? You know, we, we did in 07. I know you won't speculate on that, and neither should you, but... Uh, I mean, you're obviously going to try and, uh, you know, win your group and take it from there. 
Yeah, all I can remember is 2007 because I got sacked from Australia in 2005 and I went with South Africa and we went along to the game on the Saturday in Marseille. Yeah. And I was sitting in with Jake White and we were having a few cold beers and, um, yeah, before the game, some Aussie blokes are giving me a bit of rubbish and then after the game, you know, they weren't too smart. Um, <laughs> so, and you see that in the World Cup, these episodes repeated. So it could happen. If it does, it'll be a bit of fun, mate. Yeah, well, listen, it just goes to show, you know, we didn't have a great side on paper, but you just need a good prop and a, and a scrum half and, and you've got half a chance, haven't you, really? Obviously, you've got Brad Davis coming in and he's been London Irish this year and they've been, you know, one of three clubs that have had a real difficult time, of course. I mean, with everything that's gone on in the Premiership and you've obviously been close to that sort of setup for a long time, what's your sort of thoughts on how the year's gone for English club rugby? And do you have any thoughts on what should happen next for the future? Because obviously there's a big kind of restructuring happening in the longer term. Well, in reality, I don't think the comps ever recovered from Saracens being relegated. If you look historically from there onwards, the non-relegation promotion, like the great thing about coming to England, and, and yesterday was a great example, you know, the Premier League, it doesn't matter what team you're in, everyone's following it, aren't they? Because it's drama, it's it's fantastic sport, and I think... England sports based on that. You know, we don't have that culture in Australia and we don't have it in New Zealand, but you have it here. And I reckon that's a big part of the sport here. And I think taking that out of the premiership has diminished the premiership. Saracens dropping out for that period of time diminished the premiership. And and we've lost, you know, two clubs this year and, and potentially a third going. The whole thing needs to be restructured, mate. I don't know what they need to do, but they need to have a competitive structure where they've got promotion and relegation. And there's a dream there. You know, there's a dream from a little club. Some bloke's got, you know, 10 million that he's made out of money, wants to throw it in the club and build a club out of nowhere. Rugby needs that, particularly in this sporting landscape. Yeah, and I think, listen, you know, sport and rugby union is built on competition. It's about love, hate and everything in between, but it's, you know, it's about the rivalries. And if you start taking away those rivalries, then people don't want to go and turn up. Uh, you know, and I do think we need to create a structure where as an England coach or an international coach, you need to have a bit more control over the players or you, you need to see them a bit more. You know, they're playing maybe 10 out of 24 games in the premiership. That's not good enough, you know, and they need to put some some simple basics in. I wouldn't have anyone a captain of any team that wasn't English, you know, because what's the point? You, you know, you could come in for a few years but you're going to leave in a few years time every player should be captured by an Englishman because ultimately and, and the French seem to have you know Eddie you, you know about French rugby they seem to have shifted a little bit to where we were about 10 years ago where the majority of players are French now that play in the league they've got a few overseas and everything is geared towards the success of the national team which is how is the only reason we won the World Cup in 2003 is because we had a bit of help from the clubs and the players were strong enough I used to go to my club and say no I'm going to England training this is what I'm doing and I'll come back here when I'm ready you know Whereas they do it the other way around now. They just do what they're told to do. Yeah, there's some good points there. And I reckon the big change in the French club was Laporte. I know Laporte's in trouble now, but he just came in and said, look, this is the way it's got to be. We need a strong French national team, but we need a strong competition and we can do both. And they have. They've managed to do both. And you can do it. Like this thing about saying when you've got privately owned clubs, you can't have privately owned clubs helping the national team. I think it's rubbish. It comes down to good administration. Someone coming in, having a vision, this is the way it's going to be, being strong enough to say, right, this is it, boys. And then when you've got a good competition, people pay money for it, don't they? Like, look at the top 14, the money they get from Canal Plus, which then sponsors the game going forward. I mean, I think Steve Borthwick's probably having easier conversations with Toulouse about Jack Willis than he's having about any players in England. Let me tell you that now, because they understand how it works. Simple as that. 
Eddie, just on your um, being back with Australia again, you know, you said it, it took you two years to get over losing your job the last time. Did you ever think you'd coach the Wallabies again? And how much does it mean to you to coach your nation again, and especially taking them to another World Cup? I never really thought about it, mate. Um, you know, you get to the stage where you just enjoy coaching the team you're coaching, and then whatever happens after that, you can't plan. Having it come up is just a real bonus, but it's nice to go back and try to give something back to Australian rugby, you know. Everywhere you coach, you just want to leave the place in a better spot. And if you can do that, then it's been a good job. You've signed with Australia as head coach for this World Cup to the end of the next World Cup, 2027, which is in Australia. So there's a bit of symmetry there, mate. I mean, at the age that you are now, the enthusiasm, the energy, the passion, all the players talk about your work ethic. Where do you find this energy from to keep going for all this time? You've coached all over the world and yet you're still having a go. Uh, well, firstly, I'm only coaching till this World Cup, mate. Are you? Yeah, I've signed, but... I as I've made the mistake before, I've stayed too long. So if we win the World Cup, it'll be time to go. If we lose the World Cup, it'll be time to go. Eddie, but the, <laughs> the 2027 World Cup is back in Australia. They, they will absolutely want you, to do, want you to be part of that, I'm sure. It's a long way away, mate. But the reason I love it, mate, I'm like, I'm 63 now. And basically, I haven't worked since I was 30. Yeah, you know, imagine getting paid to coach rugby. It's one of the great honours, mate. And I'm so lucky to do it. Yeah, I should give it a go sometime. It'd be, it'd be a lot more fun. <laughs> Um, listen, it's been great to catch up with you. You know, whatever the press said, you're always very, very welcome here in this country. You know that. You're a top rugby man. Uh, all the best with the Wallabies. We really appreciate your time. So uh, thanks very much for, for being with us. No, thanks very much. Thanks, Lawrence. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. So, gents, let's just have a quick roundup then, shall we, of the final. It was perfect conditions, wasn't it, Twickenham? The sun was shining and more than 61,000 fans turned out to cheer on Saracens and Sale. Lawrence, we knew it would be close, and indeed it was just that, right up until, what, the last 10 minutes or so when Saris pulled away and closed out the game. And They've been really, really good all season, haven't they? And now I guess they've proved that they can go out and win those big games again. Yeah, listen, it was a great occasion. I mean, hopefully, you know, it's one to build on. 
First and second, Saracens were first for a reason. They've been consistent all season. Sale have been excellent and they can be very proud of what they've achieved, but they didn't quite have enough to get over the line. If it was a boxing match, I think, you know, Saracens won the first half unanimously. Sale won the third quarter, which got them two points in front, but they just didn't really have that experience. And, you know, this is a pretty amazing achievement by Saracens. It's a, a sixth premiership title. It puts them at the top of the kind of teams that have dominated that title over many years. And without a doubt, when you ask them, although the players wouldn't necessarily admit it, I would say that this title is probably their best one to date. It had that feeling, didn't it, post-match? It had that feeling about because it. Because when you lose one, when you lose the year before, I think they were fueled by that anger and that hurt of losing to Leicester, particularly in the way that they did. And obviously, Mark McCall has been the constant there. I mean, I was chatting to a few of the players offline and they said that this is the best coach team that they've ever been part of. Okay. So, you know, it, that's a pretty good quote from the players. Mark McCall, he's obviously brought in a number of other coaches and that's exciting. So they deserved it. They had the outstanding players on the field. And, you know, as I said, they just probably had that little bit more know-how, that little bit more experience to get over the line. You know, when I was pitch side, it's not often I say this, but it felt like an international match in terms of speed. They didn't actually play that well, Saracens, in terms of what they did with the ball. We've seen them play better. But their transition from taking the ball away from Sale and then being able to go up the other end and score, I thought, set them apart from any other side. And as well, Long, their ability to stay in it emotionally in that second half and keep calm, which is something that Mark McCall spoke about pre-match that they needed to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, and listen, I, I remember this from my own playing days. When you've been to places that other teams haven't been to before as a group collectively, you have that resilience, you have that muscle memory. You know, they've been in competitions, they've been in contests where they've been points down and they've collectively come together as a group. And yes, there's been a few that have come and gone at Saracens, but more often than not, those players have stayed together for a number of years. And when you can keep a group together and you get that consistency, then you start to get performances like we saw at the weekend. Now, Sale will take great heart from that because if they can keep the same group of players, the same coaches, and continually get there, then eventually they'll start to win games as well. So good contest but Saracens particularly led by Owen Farrell who was superb I thought deserved it yeah absolutely um, uh, Nick and I guess you know heartbreak for sale but like as Lawrence mentioned there they are on an upward trajectory and they've got so much to be positive about ahead of next season I think absolutely and we've seen it with Saracens and, and other teams before you have to go and lose finals before you eventually go and win them and it's all part of that learning process that sort of education of becoming winners and Alex Anderson is a, a phenomenal coach a great man and I think the way he you know we talked about it before but he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's really open about himself and, and open to his players and honest with them. I, I think that's great. You can see why people want to play for him. You know, Manu Tulangi had a really big game, which is, you know, important from an England perspective. So that's exciting. You know, lots of physicality, lots of ingenuity as well. But yeah, Saracens just had that edge. And the key thing, I think, was the way they've expanded their game this season under the greatest of pressure. When Sale put them under a massive amount of pressure, they kept their composure and they found ways to keep the ball moving, keep the ball alive. They didn't panic. They found a way to stick to their principles and still make them work. And in the greatest of pressure, when it would be really easy to revert to a tight game, they didn't. And I think that's greatly to their credit. And they are the worthy champions. But yeah, it's very exciting for the future. And hopefully, if Sale can build a bit of a powerhouse with the North, that will be really, really strong for the English game generally moving forward. Absolutely. OK, so we do player of the week then, guys. Player of the week with QBE Business Insurance. Be prepared. Nick, since it's the last one, you can go first. 
I'm going to pick Theo Dan of Saracens because to come off the bench after 10 minutes or perhaps even less than that, go the whole of the game, you know, he probably would have been preparing to play maybe half an hour, maybe 20 minutes or, or even less because someone like Jamie George is somebody you could rely on to play the whole game, to be honest. And the biggest game of his career so far and, you know, the fact that even in the last minute they flood that ruck, win that turnover and he's integral to that, jumps to his feet grabs a ball and bangs a 50-22, <laughs> you know, as a hooker. We, we were speaking to Jackson Ray afterwards and he said, well, look, if that's the way the game's going, I'm glad I'm retiring. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, it's great to see. I think Theo Dan will be involved with him for the World Cup, certainly in the wider squad. And, and I think it's great to see that there are fresh uh, guys coming through, but guys with the confidence and, you know, even in, in themselves in really a breakthrough season. To put in a performance like that under that greatest of pressure. Yeah, because Lawrence, that's something we haven't mentioned actually. The fact that they did lose Jamie George so early in the game and they lost Mako, didn't they, on match day before we even started. I mean, to lose two big leaders like that within the, the match day squad and to still perform the way they did. So that was that was quite impressive, I thought. It was actually. Just on that, I mean, listen, injuries are part and parcel of the game. Uh, Sale were down a few, but to have no Billy Bonapola, to lose Mako. No uh, Christie, no McFarland. I think they've really coped very well with that. And their coaches clearly had done a lot of work on the, in the analysis in terms of where they were going to put Sale under pressure, particularly in the back three, where, you know, the experience of Maylins, who was outstanding, daily best game I've seen him play for a long time. And obviously Alex Good, they were brilliant. Now, in terms of my outstanding player, I'm going to go for two, one from each side, if you don't mind. Special mentions to Owen Farrell for his performance, man of the match, Peter Deacon medal, deservedly. Special mention to Mark McCall for his achievements in terms of his sixth title Tom Curry for tackling the protester and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and tackling a few others as well. But, but I want to mention two number eights who are club icons. Jackson Ray, who's standing down, retiring from Saracen's 309th game for the club. And for him to play number eight in his final game and to win the Premiership title, I think is pretty special. And the other guy is John Ross from Sale, who also played number eight for Sale, was playing his last game. And again, has been an integral part of that team, has seen all the highs and lows of Sale Sharks, probably gutted that he's getting to the end of his career. He's had to retire and they're just starting to get good. But uh, yeah, I just thought those two epitomise everything that's good about those two clubs. And congratulations to them both on outstanding careers. I hate going last because basically you both mention like every player that was going to come out of my mouth. But I'm going to go Owen Farrell, I think. I just think he's been brilliant for Saracens this season. For me, he's been like the catalyst in terms of like how they've kind of developed their game and they've involved their game. And he just seems like a lot more relaxed, doesn't he? Even like chatting afterwards and stuff. He just, I'm going Owen. So that's mine. Okay, then given that it's our last podcast of the season and it's been a bit of a roller coaster season hasn't it for the premiership what are you most hopeful about next term guys what are you looking forward to or what you want to see happen or what you want to see change Lawrence do you want to go first well a special mention to the uh, to the clubs that we've lost this season which is uh, Wasps and Worcester and obviously the certainty or uncertainty around London Irish is not a great sign so uh, it does look like we're going to have 10 teams next season I wish that the Gallagher Premiership, Premiership Rugby, RFU would uh, recognise and and give us a bit of vision for the future because there could be a future with Worcester, Wasps and London Irish, but until they actually announce what they're planning to do, no one's got a clue, have they? So rugby is only 80 minutes a week where we're enemies uh, and we don't like each other. The rest of the time we need to work collectively and collaboratively to grow the game because it is a great game. There's some great things that happen, but uh, in England at the moment, it's in a complete and utter mess on and off the field and it needs sorting and uh, it's regressed. So my hope is that uh, we get some true leadership from Premiership Rugby and from the RFU. And if they don't want to lead, then step aside and we'll find some people who do. 
Penshi, like that. Uh, Nick, follow that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously, I agree wholeheartedly with Lawrence. So I'd be hoping for club security, job security, security for the supporters, obviously, as well. Maybe some fresh investment if we can find that from somewhere. But then also, if we do move to 10 teams and we have a premiership where there's no overlap with the test game, then I think that could be a big key to moving forward. And I think if we've got the top players playing more regularly in, in the league, then I think that will boost the league. And hopefully that will allow more England players to stay in England. And hopefully that will improve the test game as well. Yeah, if all of that can happen and we can have an actual drive towards sustainability, then fingers crossed we can ride out this horrendous time and actually end up with starting to make progress in the next couple of years. Absolutely, because, I mean, the Premiership project we've seen on the field of play this season, for the most part, I think is really good. You know, we've seen some brilliant, brilliant games, um, some brilliant youngsters coming through as well. So, yeah, fingers crossed for next season, gents. That's all for this week's pod and actually for the season. So a big thank you to you, Sarah. Thanks, Lars. And to you, Nick. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Sarah. And to all the guests, actually, who have joined us throughout the season. And although the rugby season is over, we still have one more podcast to bring you. Next week, we'll have a very special episode hearing about a charity very close to my heart. It is, of course, Delalio Rugby Works. I'll be talking about why I set it up and we'll be hearing from some of the young people that we have the privilege to work with. So I'll be back next week. I do hope you'll be able to join me. But for now, from Nick, from Sarah, from myself, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.